7.31. If you look around you now, um, the autumn leaves certainly are in transition. And we don't have to head for the mountains to see them. Local efforts to plant trees in urban areas have really borne fruit, as it were, with ginkgo trees in particular making up a quarter of all street trees in this country more than any other kind after cherry blossom trees. Uh, Ginkgo leaves are prized worldwide, but the smell of the fruit is uh, a local complaint, and especially when they're crushed underfoot by people treading the sidewalks where these trees line boulevards and streets around the city. Let's bring in Professor Peter Crane, Dean of the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies, to hear more about this species of tree, though. Good morning to you. Thank you very much for taking the time. Good morning, Alex. I mean, one of the things that we often hear in relation to this particular tree is that it's something of a living fossil, despite being very much alive with that aroma I just described. Why is that? Well, I think uh, we don't really have a very good answer, but, um, you know, we do know from the fossil record that ginkgo and plants like ginkgo have been around for about 200 million years, and they were once widespread across the planet, not only in the northern hemisphere, but also in the southern hemisphere, and not only in Eastern Asia, but in Europe and North America. So the really interesting question from an evolutionary point of view is, is what happened? Why did they suddenly become so restricted? And that happens about 15 million years ago, and today uh, ginkgo is really only native to China and has been spread to Korea and Japan and then around the world over the last uh, 500 years or so. So one question there, why are they so restricted? Another question, um, how have they been able to survive at all? Do, do you have any answers or theories well, about those from questions? From the standpoint of survival, they're, you know, they're a very tough and resilient tree, which is why they get favoured in urban situations. So that's a good starting point. <clears throat> they reproduce vegetatively as well as by those smelly seeds. In other words, they reproduce by suckers and shoots coming up from the base. Um, so that's you know, maybe why they've been uh, uh, so persistent. But then, uh, obviously, something happened in the climate over the last um, 10 or 15 million years, and that, uh, whatever it was, uh, ginkgo didn't respond favorably to it. And it was lost from North America about 15 million years ago, lost from Europe a couple of million years ago, and as I said today, survives only in China as a native species. Um, one Korean article uh, we saw in researching this claimed that it takes about 15 years for ginkgo trees to actually bear first fruit. Is, is that yes, unique or, or is that something we see in a fair few tree species? I think we see that in many trees. They need to become sort of established before they start to produce flowers or in, in this case the little pollen cones and seeds that ginkgo produces. But 15 years is quite quite quick, I would have said, you know, uh, uh, I think it's quite common to take 20 years, maybe even 25 years. Depends, of course, on, on uh, you know, what the growing conditions are like, but it will take a time for them to mature. And so when you plant a ginkgo tree, uh, unless you have uh, got it from a reliable supplier, you're not really sure for maybe 20 years or whether you've got a male or a female. And why is that so significant? Presumably, uh, in order to have them thrive, you need uh, a good balance of the two? Yes, I mean, you would really, in an urban setting, uh, prefer to plant the males because they don't produce those smelly seeds. Uh, it's only the females. So if you, could, if you could make that decision early on when you're planting them, 
uh, that would be advantageous. And in fact, you can produce male-only trees by grafting essentially male branches onto a, a rootstock, much as we do with many other cultivated trees, including cherries that you mentioned. Well, speaking of the, the kinko fruit, um, it, it is actually very delicious when, for example, barbecued here in Korea. Um, but, but why does it smell so bad? Is there an evolutionary purpose behind that or some other more immediate protective mechanism? Well, I think, um, I think it's probably a bit of uh, uh, protection to ward off some animals, but also to attract some animals. I think, you know, many animals find that the things that we find smelly and disgusting really attractive. And so it could be that this was uh, a way of attracting the, the animals that would eat the seeds and then pass them through the gut and, there, and therefore disperse them. I mean, that's quite a common mechanism. We don't really know, uh, uh, because ginkgo is so restricted, we don't know what eats it in the wild, but certainly we see uh, some dogs will eat uh, ginkgo nuts and they're moved around by squirrels and so on. So they do have some means of getting uh, around. And that smell is probably related to dispersal in some way. It, it's interesting because when I was uh, in the UK, I can hear you're from the, the UK as well, um, and, and no doubt where you are in, in the United States as well, you, you would hear of a lot of people using the leaf extract for medicinal purposes, but it, it's that nut or the fruit that we uh, enjoy so much more here in Korea, where there are so many of these trees. We call them unheng trees here. Uh, what, what's better for us, or are they both um, equally nutritionally beneficial that we should be enjoying uh, in moderation in our diets? enjoyed in moderation and uh, and cooked and prepared in various ways they can be really uh, quite delicious probably shouldn't eat so many of them um, and uh, I think from a medicinal point of view uh, as far as I can tell the seeds have been relatively little used the leaf extract however as you point out particularly in Europe and in North America has become uh, really quite a popular herbal medicine and um, uh, that seems to be more of a European invention, which is very curious, uh, than an Eastern uh, invention. Exactly and, right. Because, uh, I mean, it, it can be relatively expensive as well, or it certainly sounds very exotic from afar. And, and you'll see it um, branded alongside uh, ginseng, for example, as being good for, for circulation and, and that kind of thing. Um, but here, when you see these leaves so abundant, uh, are we ignoring something that could be potentially very helpful right in front of our eyes? Well, I think uh, uh, if you're going to take ginkgo leaf extract, you probably need to take a sort of standardized, properly prepared leaf uh, extract that's, that's uh, prepared in the, right, in the right way. And I think um, from a medicinal point of view, I think the, the jury is out on whether it's really good for you or not. But I have to say that I've met a lot of people who take a ginkgo leaf extract and who swear by it and uh, good luck to them you know maybe it is helpful to them in as you say improving circulation and so on typically people take it to kind of keep their their memory going and i couldn't uh, getting on a little bit now i could well understand the incentive to do that right well um thank you very much i guess a lot of leaves are healthy for us so it makes sense that the ginkgo leaf would also be um professor peter crane Dean of the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies. Pleasure to have you on the line. Thank you so much, Alex. 
Um, let's continue on and, and talk a bit more about the characteristics of ginkgo, those street trees in particular. Uh, whether you like the smell or not, I think we can all agree that uh, it's better to put, put up with a bit of smell than to put up with more exhaust fumes clouding our streets, um, especially when trees seem to play a role there in brightening up the environment, but also helping to clean up the environment. Ryan Murphy from the Department of Forest Resources at the University of Minnesota is also on the line now. Thank you for taking the time. Oh, thank you. And just uh, like to say hello to Dr. Peter Crane. I just read his book. Oh, really? Um, well, thank you very much for saying so. Uh, it's nice to have both of you on the line with us today. Um, but, you know, we could be talking about cherry blossom trees or any other number of trees planted in a street environment. Why is it that ginkgo trees seem to be so popular? Well, I think I have a few reasons for you. Uh, first off, it seems to be a pretty tough tree. You know, the urban environment for planting trees is, well, it's not easy. A lot of times you have a planting space that is constrained. Um, you have soil compaction and all other sorts of um, issues that ginkgo just seems to do well in. Uh, it also has this way of being a relatively low-maintenance tree. Um some of the trees that we like to plant here, shade trees, in Minnesota at least, they require a bit of pruning to get them to proper structure and to get rid of certain defects in the way that their branch branches form unions. Mm. And ginkgo just seems to do well without too much upkeep. Um, one of the things that we're really excited about, especially here in Minnesota, about ginkgo is that it pretty ha pretty much has no reported pests or pathogens. Um, so take, for example, what we experienced with Dutch elm disease. We had planted streets nearly completely full of elm trees, and Dutch elm disease, the vascular wilt pathogen, came through and effectively wiped out the vast, vast majority of our elm trees, which is a huge environmental and economic impact. And the fact that ginkgo doesn't really have anything on the horizon as far as issues in that realm, um, that's super exciting for us. Mm. And then it's, you know, it's a beautiful tree. Is it important to find ways to protect this, this tree um, to ensure that pathogens or other threats don't develop in the future? Well... As far as we can tell, they're just, we just don't know if there's actually anything out there. There are some reports of some minor feeding and other associations with fungal species, but here in Minnesota, we haven't seen anything. Um, it should be pointed out that ginkgo is, from an evolutionary standpoint, a very kind of unique tree. Um, you know, it's very old, a living fossil. Mm. And and we also don't have any ginkgo relatives here in the States. So, for example, with elm, elm is on multiple continents. And when you have a species that has a related counterpart on another continent that may have evolved with an insect or a pathogen 
and then that pathogen jumps and comes in contact with the tree species that hasn't seen it before, it can really cause a lot of damage, which doesn't seem to be the case with ginkgo. What about the fact that we see female trees being replaced with male trees in order to uh, avoid that smell that we were just referring to before? Does that pose a threat um, if, if you're playing with the ecosystem in that way? Yeah, that's a that's a perhaps a big question about a lot of what we're doing with our urban plantings. Um, going even beyond just the male-female question, oftentimes we plant clones from the standpoint of that clone has a specific form that we really like, or you know, just from a nursery production standpoint, it's beneficial to do that. So not only are we only planting males, but we're only planting one male. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, I don't, I don't think I want to project too far into the future. But in general, I think we find that diversity in natural systems creates resilient systems. Um, yeah, so it's, it doesn't seem like a positive thing particularly. Um, we are running short on time so i want to switch things up as well to the um the benefits that these trees have uh environmentally too uh for example in a city environment where there might be a lot of pollutants um you talked about the resilience of these trees do they help us as well uh, by by soaking up some of these pollutants yes actually uh the, the study that i saw and read on it actually came out of um some korean researchers but they found that ginkgo, for example, with a pollutant such as sulfur dioxide, is able to absorb a relatively larger amount of the pollutant, but then also not exhibit any leaf degradation. So it does seem like it the, is the, doing something beneficial there. Yeah, I mean, the idea that they're not visibly degrading sounds very positive, but do we have to be cautious about consuming any parts of the tree when they are in that kind of polluted urban environment? You know, that's a great point, um, especially when it comes to leaves, because we know that the leaves are absorbing toxins and they're also, they're also there on the leaf surface. In terms of the seed, that still, for me, is one of my current studies going on, is to see, is there heavy metal accumulation in those seeds? Um, so I can't comment one way or the other on, on the seed safety. Well, thank you very much for commenting on so many issues for us this morning. Um, Ryan Murphy from the Department of Forest Resources at the University of Minnesota. Also a pleasure to have you on the line. Okay, thank you. And there's something for us all to think about. Uh, for me, the, the memory is particularly strong of of when you're in a crowd of people like a load of people getting off a bus at the same time. Um, and, and often around bus stops, you'll you'll see these boulevards lined with these ginkgo trees and everybody's crushing the, the seeds at the same time. And yes, it can be a pungent aroma, but something to be grateful for there as well. Uh, you can text us on any of our issues this morning, Powder Sharp 1013 for 51 per message.